Here he is, Paul Yates. Are we in action? Hey there, Lee. How's it going, man? I think we've overcome technical difficulties and we're finally making it happen. I know, yeah. So, obviously, busy weekends. Obviously, we've got other things going on in our lives, but obviously, we did say that. Obviously, we're going to make it happen. So, what I've got for you, my friend, I've already sent the introduction, which uh, I know you're more than happy with. So, what I'm going to do, obviously, I've got a few things I want to fire fire across your way and get your thoughts or your insights and uh, the Yates' wisdom. Um, I have plenty and I of hope thoughts about things, but maybe not insights. <laughs> so for those who don't know Paul, again, I just thought it's good to have that introduction. So Paul Yates, I, o- I only know um, one other famous Yates, and that's um, the the old school, old school bodybuilder Dorian Yates. You're not no... Um, long-distant uh, relation to Dorian, are you? I mean, I've never researched this properly, Lee, but obviously, you know, you've seen me in the gym and uh, I think it's pretty obvious we are, you know, genetically connected at some level, you know? So what I want to do, Paul, is give obviously people obviously our insights and factual information, but um, for those who don't know who Dorian Yates is, obviously, like, he's a former Mr. Olympia, six-time winner, mate, and I've got some good facts from between 92 and 97. So obviously a brilliant a brilliant guy representing the UK in a time where obviously the, the, the Yanks were dominating that landscape. And um I know we've trained, haven't we, for years, my friend. And um talking to Dorian, have you got any sort of influences, obviously, from that sort of nineties era well, who you sort of looked up to? Arnie, obviously, because I, I grew up on um when I was far too young to watch them. Uh, you know, my parents would still let me get Commando and Predator, uh, Total Recall, Raw Deal, uh, was it Running Man, etc. Running Man. At the video shop. All great movies, man. And um, I grew up with, with Arnie being my idol. But yeah, Dorian, he was a champion, uh, legend, great bodybuilder. I remember this insane story I read about him once in a great book. I forget the author's name now, but uh, the book was simply titled Muscle. And it was sort of a behind-the-scenes expose on the bodybuilding world in the 90s when it was at its peak and its craziest. I remember reading this story about Dorian Yates where he'd torn his uh, tricep. And it, it was a bad tear. It was a bad injury. And he was, um, he was like a month out of uh, show. And he basically, he, he lay on his sofa and he didn't lift a thing. He didn't even lift a TV remote for about 30 days. And uh, he still went and won the show somehow, you know. So the, yeah. the guy was in, in insane shape at the time. But I will say this much about bodybuilders of that era, Lee. One of the, uh, the first gyms I ever went in when I was about 17, 18, it was the old school gyms that we used to talk about, the, the spit and sawdust ones that we, we sort of uh, lovingly refer to these days. And it was, um, it was above a, a, a bike shop, a, a motorbike shop, like a sort of Honda bikes and stuff like that. And you go up and you pay your three pounds a time. You go in and you work out for as long as you want. And it was owned by a, a, a nice guy, a, a guy who's probably in his uh, sort of early to mid-60s, John Sills, if you're still out there, man. And uh, he had all these pictures of, of bodybuilders gone in the wall of the, the gym. But there were pictures of bodybuilders, Lee, uh, in his gym. So they'd come and visit the gym, you know, make appearances and stuff like that. Yeah. You've got to remember, Lee, this was the 90s. So in these pictures, they, they weren't flexing muscles. They, weren't, they didn't look like they were on the stage and all this kind of business. 
they were all posing with John uh, in shell suits, albeit really big shell suits. And he told me this story about how um, basically none of them would like take the top off or show off in the gym or anything like that. It wasn't because they had some unspoken coder of like, you know, we're not going to show off and make other people feel bad or anything like that. It's quite the opposite. These guys were like supermodels. I won't get out of bed for less than 50 grand. They were basically said to John, and this, this was across the board, guys that came and visited. I think Dorian was one of them. Uh, we're not taking these shell suits off unless you pay us, you know? Yeah. And so John sort of invited them in, but he had sort of like the attitude, oh, fuck you then, you know what I mean? It's like, I'm, I'm not paying you money just so we can see your abs and pecs, you know? So, yeah. I, I mean, th- those guys were great in the game, in their field. But I, I suspect, Lee, I suspect they were absolute fucking assholes, every one of them, you know? Uh, probably not the kind of guys you'd want to sit down and have a drink with. Or share a protein yeah. shake, even. And that, that's it, isn't it? It's weird how, obviously, sort of, from there, um, from the 70s, 80s, 90s, obviously, certain characters sort of catch our eye. And I think we're sort of, uh, we, we are sort of gravitate to sort of more of the oddball ones, people who sort of really live life on the edge and they're not, they, they have a bit of character. Obviously, Dorian Yates being obviously, you know, British and uh, he had his own method. And I, I've read different articles, even though, my specific training is not bodyboarding, but there was a guy in the seventies um, called Mike Menzo, and again pioneer. He was about like yeah. Was, um, it, was he like the one rep, one set guy? Was yeah, he? That, right. yeah, he was. And uh, the reason I got re- uh, reading um, books on Mike Menzo, God, and this is for me. Obviously, it's before our time, and um, one of my friends at the time um, when I was working at FX Leisure, obviously starting in the fitness my career in the fitness industry which Excuse I'll, me. I'll get on to you know, we used them in FX Leisure in Blackpool we, I remember them <laughs> FX Leisure they had a few but didn't they of, tidy gyms <laughs> that's the one mate but uh, one of my good friends she's uh, passed away now bless her she was in her 70s and obviously cancer is a horrible disease and takes many but um, she was a Nita and um, she was a pioneer in the 70s herself um, one of the first women in uh, Greater Manchester to have her, her own uh, own lady's gym and um, she used to have all these articles and stuff and obviously when I became a really good friend of her and she was an early influence in my career and she passed on loads of amazing reading material and uh, I remember certain things like uh, Mike Menza, Dorian Yates sort of um, these names obviously I weren't really familiar with and uh, just read up and um, again it just sort of uh, infused my love and knowledge of training and just thought bloody hell it's just there's so much in our world and this is why obviously for us trying to sit down. You just reminded me, Lee, of uh, Frank Zane. He, he used to be famous for getting on the old uh, Roman chair. You remember that thing? It was basically like a, a bicycle seat about four foot off the ground that you'd sort of balance yourself on and there was a little hook for your feet and you either you either got abdominal muscles from it or you broke your neck on it, I seem to remember. You don't see too many around the gyms these days, funnily enough. But Frank Zane was famous, similar principle, Lee. He was famous for um, doing a two-hour crunch. So he'd hold the crunch position, and he'd sort of meditate on it. Yeah, the isometric. Yeah, he would hold an isometric hold for for two hours. Now, yeah, I used to think that was pretty fucking cool, man. But thinking back now, like an isometric hold for two hours, that's probably not great for your blood pressure, man, you know? It's not, Um, but back in the 70s and 80s, there was was pioneering it, like pioneering these techniques, like uh, unheard of, so... These characters are unique characters, and I think 
today's sort of cut, cookie cut model, which I want to go on to soon, as um, it's just, fitness just to, just to be, seems now just to be sort of very one dimensional. And we've talked about obviously the ninety day transformation model, this sort of twelve week program, and you know we want to sort of talk on the, the health of uh, longevity and training for long term well, uh, sustainability. I'm quite passionate about this because, you know, we, we've been doing this some 20 years each and not to come across like we know everything, but we know something at least. And I'll tell you something, man. Uh, I, I don't need to go too far into the recesses of my own uh, experiential wisdom or even my gut feeling to know that uh, 12-week programs are essentially – uh, the, the, the pure marketing, you know, what, what they're calling like technology industries like vaporware, you know, it's, it's, it's literally something that you're buying into that never really transpires into everything. And then the 12 week program, it, it sort of comes from a, a very, uh, how it? it comes from a kind of a misunderstanding of periodized plans. I mean, that's where they get the 12 weeks from, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Uh, but in, 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 in actual fact, it's kind of a, it's a very arbitrary time limit for anyone to sort of get results, you know, and um, obviously it's different for everybody. And there are caveats in, in the promises of these gyms that promise 12 week trans- transformations, because obviously you get gyms that post 18 weeks and six months and, and the rest of it. Uh, but, but specifically in, uh, in the industry now, you've got a lot of gyms focus on 12 week transformations. And I, I frankly, Lee, if I'm, if I'm honest with you, I either one of two things, and I have been on the inside of one or two of these companies that, that provide said 12 week transformations, quite famous actually in the industry. And um, UP Fitness, for one, not to name any names, but um, you know, they either don't work or they're, they're doing some really sketchy things with people's diet to get those. Um, to get those miraculous results in the 12 week time frame, you know? Yeah. And it, it tells you something about the, the, the confidence that they have in this sort of um, specifically uh, UP fitness, actually. Um, it tells you something about the confidence that they have in the trainers because of the sort of system, the pay structure that they have, or at least they had 18 months, two years ago. Uh, you don't get paid for what, because one of the good things about working for guys like that is you do get a base wage, which is a rare thing these days in the fitness industry. Yeah. But um, your base wage is, is, is not as high as it should be at the start. It's, it's kind of curtail because they want to see three solid transformations off you before you get to like the, the, the regular tier of earning. And then obviously you can rise the master trainer and all the rest of that crap. So essentially, they hire a lot of trainers that are never going to get those three uh, transformations, you know. Excuse me. And um, they're, they're just going to go through the system, go through the grinder, and they're going to be out in their ass again. Yeah. But they're, they're kind of, they're, they're in terms of marketing, in terms of the company, uh, every trainer is the same. Every trainer is equal. So when one goes to a, a UP fitness, it's not like when – it's not like when yours or my missus goes to a Tony and Guy and they want this done at the hairdresser and then they say, oh, well, you know, she's, she's like junior and this. And you get a different rate of pay depending on the level of expertise of the stylist. Yeah. Right? And, and that's not actually how it's happening in a personal training field. So just to bring that point out, extrapolate it a little bit, make it a little bit wider. 
not targeting any gyms now, but it's the same for any trainers across the world in the industry. Any trainer can come along and charge 40 pounds an hour. And he may have one year's experience in the gym. He may have 20 years experience in the gym. Um, it's kind of like a catch-all. And people, when they come in and spend a lot of money, because, you know, personal trainers, man, they're not cheap. You never really know what you're buying into. There's, there's no real um, – I mean, the trainers talk about accountability all the time, you know. But there isn't really much accountability because there's so many trainers coming in and out of the system. And taking a lot of money off people that think they're buying into expertise when they're actually not. It's fabricated um, bullshit. So yeah, That's what it is, isn't it? A lot of them is fabricated it, bullshit. Well, coming, you know. coming back to the original point, Lee, the 12 weeks is fabricated bullshit. Um, if someone wants to enter into a contract, uh, by which I mean not, not just a, a monetary contract, but, but a, a contract of trust, um, and, a, and a contract of, uh, you know, faith in, in a trainer, then both trainer and client should expect results eventually, they should expect incremental improvements. This is obvious for anyone to say. But to, to pin these time limits on results, and, and even sketchily to see so many people get them, and again, I, I know how some of these people have gotten the results, and it's not... It's not good practice. I know for, I've known you a long time, and it's not the kind of diet practice that you yourself would prescribe to, to uh, clients because it's just not fucking healthy, for one thing, Lee. And they talk about sustainability and all this kind of thing. Well, actually, you know, it's not sustainable unless you keep these stupid, rigid diets. And that, that's what um, I want to um, go across on, obviously, because some of these marketing, obviously, like the juggernauts of the fitness world, and we're going to sort of go into our time working for the largest fitness and health club in the world, which is Fitness First, which has good points, it has bad points. Um, but again, they just use marketing tools, which what we've we've discussed is they prey on people's vulnerability, sort of the, the self-consciousness. And um, they use now like constantly new buzzwords like longevity and like people who are sort of true, true to them sort of the ideals uh, are the ones who sort of get left behind and then the corporate world sort of swallows up, takes that and then puts it on their platform and then they're then deemed to be like the the new mecca again, obviously they reinvent and that's business. So, but what I wanted to speak to you about, Paul, obviously, because we, we've lived through an experience, obviously for, for me, it was four years I spent in um, Dubai, UAE and I know obviously you've recently gone back and I've had to obviously come back home to Manchester. But when I did the introduction... I wanted to tell like our listeners of um, those who don't know, obviously we was recruited, you know, I was recruited from Leeds and I know um, you got recruited <coughs> from Manchester, didn't you? So what I want to do, I want to speak a little minute about um, that process. And then I've got a few <coughs> questions. Excuse me, I've got a bit of coronavirus going on there. <laughs> and I want to talk to you. So we're big fans, obviously we've got to know each other really. And I want this podcast to like flow into like, all different topics and I hope, the listeners appreciate it's not just about fitness. So in terms of uh, your recruitment, Paul, um, there's a classic film called The Recruit and um, 2003 spy thriller and it was uh, Colin Farrell. It's Colin Farrell and Al Pacino. Yes. You know something, Liam, my younger years, I used to be likened to a young Colin Farrell. And that's it, mate. Same so age, Colin I want to know. Yeah, it's absolutely true. I did look, that's one of the... Uh, I look more like Al Pacino, obviously. Yeah, it's a favourite. It was a good favourite for me. I was a, a big film buff. And we're gonna we're gonna touch upon on this, uh, but 
Colin Farrell's character, um, James Clayton, as a, so I, I've, I've highlighted this for you here. A young and promising CI recruit is hired by Walter Burke. Obviously, that's played by Al Pacino. So my recruitment phase, I, I was recruited from uh, um, after working for Manchester City Council and I, I jumped onto the Middle, Middle East project. So for me, it was like, where was you at that time, 2011? Because we was both on that same flight, October 2011, flying out on a, a Middle Eastern yeah. adventure. <clears throat> yeah, no, definitely. I was in the fucking gutter, man. I was living in uh, Russia, um, uh, struggling to, to keep the rent over my head. And um, I, I got no fondness for, for Russia, man. I couldn't even, at the time, properly afford to live or keep myself there. It wasn't the best time. So you could say this opportunity came at a good time. I'd recently, um, I'd come out of the, uh, the, uh, the Marines and I was, uh, I was kind of spinning. I was kind of uh, twisting in the wind, so to speak. Um, so when I got the, the opportunity to take this interview, and by the way, it was in Leeds, same as you, at the Hilton Hotel. Yeah, um, yeah I, I remember... Um, Going to Leeds on the train, I think borrowing the train fare as well. Really hitting shit bricks <laughs> at the time. Mate, I took the coach. And, I took um, the mega bus. I think it was in a similar predicament. No, uh, well, you, 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 you were frugal. I was probably more broke than you, and I took the fucking train. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I went there suited and booted, man. And uh, the, my one saving grace was, I mean, obviously you know me, man. The one thing, no matter how bad things are, I never give up training. I never give up working out or anything. I was on the, the right side of my 30s and I was still looking in decent, good shape. And it was kind of showing through the suit at the time as well and everything. So I had that going for me at least. Uh, you know, I had some physicality and I could string two words together. But still, I was pessimistic because, I, you know, everybody goes through this phase, obviously, in life. But life had just been kicking me in the balls daily. So I wasn't too optimistic about my chances of getting a job in fucking Dubai, which at that point I'd never been. So I, I get there, man, and I go into the lobby of the Hilton Hotel in the uh, center of Leeds, Leeds City Center, and um, I'm, I'm early. I sit there. I take some of the complimentary water, sipping. You know when you get that cotton mouth when you're nervous, yeah, yeah and i got those palmy sweats going on, stuff like that. I think it was the summer as well. It was around about <clears throat> June, July when we were interviewing, and uh, yeah. So eventually, um, about 10, 15 minutes after the interview was due to start, there's not a, a single soul around me in, in the lobby area. And I'm starting to feel a bit like, um, have you ever seen Toast of London? No, I've not seen it. With Matt Berry? No. Oh, it's great. It's a comedy series with Matt, Matt Berry. You'll know Matt Berry if you've seen him. But basically, he's, a, he's, an, he's an out-of-work actor, but he's a lovey. He's, a, he's not like a regular actor. He's a thesp. He's a lovey. And uh, a lot like me, actually, he's, he, he thinks he's a lot better at his job than he actually is. <laughs> and there's this great scene. There's this great scene in uh, Toast of London, one of the episodes, where he's basically ordered an escort. And uh, he's rented a hotel room. And he's sat in the lobby waiting for the escort. And the escort's late. And he's there looking at his watch, and his palms are getting sweaty. Uh, and we know, as the viewer, that actually it's a bit of a sting operation. And he doesn't know this yet. And he starts seeing sort of shadowy figures behind uh, the, the sort of corners and ledges in the, in, the, uh, in the hotel lobby. 
And this is how <clears throat> the uh, this is how the uh, fitness first Middle East fitness director presented himself to me. At least that's how I see it. This uh, tall, lanky, shifty-looking fellow was sort of almost hiding, like he didn't want to be seen by anybody else. And he, he sort of came. He, he, didn't, he didn't walk in normally. He didn't, you know, like most people in the walking for an interview. They're walking like they're on a fucking game show, like they're walking out of Jeopardy or something <laughs> like that, you know? Not this guy. No, no, no. He, um, he walks out of the shadows, like he's Voldemort or something like that, you know? And, uh, but not as pale, obviously, because he lived in Dubai. So he introduces himself. He's, he, I never forget, like, he's very smartly dressed, tall, quite striking-looking guy in the kindness, wasn't yeah. he? But he had a very sort of hyperactive nature, demeanor about him. Slightly unsettling because, you know, someone like me, you can't get a word in edgeways with this guy, you know. So we sit down and he, he starts speaking at me, not to me, you know. And um, I, I realized pretty quickly, and obviously you had your interview with Nick Hymas, I realized pretty quickly that this wasn't an interview, this was a sales pitch. And they'd already earmarked me for the job. Now, you know, I was desperate and pessimistic on the way there, but I, I quickly tuned into what was going on and realized this was now my job to lose. So basically, I spent about an hour uh, sitting there, sweating in the heat of the lobby. I'm, I'm not used to wearing suits, Lee, you know. And um, it just nodded in my head like a fucking nodding dog for about an hour, you know. And at the end of it, he gave me a bunch of reading material. He, I think he gave me a contract there and then. He said, go away and think about it. And I pretty much left thinking, shit, did he just give me a job or sell me a fucking timeshare? <laughs> you know, everything sounded too good. good to be true. So given, again, going back to, given the sort of unfortunate, like general nature of the way things were going for me at that point, I still had this little niggling down. I'm like, oh, this is too good to be true. It's never going to happen, you know, because obviously if the job was real, I was ready to bite his balls off for it. And lo and behold, as you know, about it took a while, didn't it, Lee? About a month and a half, two months after um, uh, the interview, they they were pretty much. I think Rebecca Simon, she was uh, she was um, HR manager at the time, wasn't she? She was sorting us out and getting us ready to fly. Yeah, it was really surreal yeah, because I, I it, it, it uh, was surreal because I remember obviously I was working for Manchester City Council and um, I was really enjoying that job as well, and I was. Uh, they couldn't offer me, you know, any more hours than like 15 hours. So I, had to, I was still at Asda at this point because I've, I've, I'd been working in California. When I come back, it was a recession. So I was dating a girl. I was working at Asda on a 15. You know, I was just building up freelance work. And I, I just, I made the decision, Paul, myself in January of that year, 2011, that I'm going to spend 12 months applying for as many jobs abroad as possible. And eventually, like, you know, I, I got like Steiner, offered me a job but the cruise line industry happened to get oh i see yeah no i, I got offered the steiner as well yeah yeah I, I mean that's probably the avenue i would have gone had i not taken dubai because rather like you lee i'd obviously you you, you travel around a bit and i i, I was coming out of a a really a, a really janky experience with the royal marines uh six months behind me when i was applying for this job in dubai but before all that, because, you know, you know me, Lee, I wasn't, like, dyed in the wool or anything like that. I, I didn't join early. I joined late in life. I joined in my sort of mid to late 20s. Late bloomer. And before that, 
a light bloomer. Um, I'm still running rings around those little fuckers, man. I'll tell you, on bottom field and and uh, endurance course and what have you. But um, it, it has to be said before that, rather like your experiences, I was um, I was in Tokyo for a year, and I was working as a trainer in uh, Gold's Gym. Now, when you've had these experiences, Lee, as you full well know, you can't come back home to the UK, sit on your thumbs, and just, you know, enjoy the sunshine here whenever we get it. You know, you can't, you can't smell the grass and the roses anymore here. You have to go out there again. You have to see something. Um, Japan, my travels around there definitely taught me that. Uh, I I need to be out in the world. I need to be seeing things, doing. Things. As your Instagram account so, mate tells us, you're a man of the world. Tapau seven nine, by the way, guys. That's T A P A U seven nine. Tapau, based on the the band that had the amazing 1980s hit single China in her hand. So, yeah, um, I I needed that job really, but yeah, you you I probably would have taken the the Steiner job as well because obviously that would have that would have um, dialed into a lot of my needs and, and wants out of life at that, that time. Um, but fate has it, Lee, that we were going to end up on a flight together to uh, Dubai for the first time ever. And that's it. And that's, that's and, why I've got uh, some questions for you now, Paul. Obviously, I wanted to ask you because I've had I've been away from Dubai like what for? I was due to go back to um, Dubai to visit friends, obviously. <laughs> just before this coronavirus hit and part of them, um, as you know, I was... Jesus, Lee, what, what happened? What happened? Why, why were your plans cancelled? Exactly, mate. Some, Has anything been going on recently? Some mystery virus, apparently, has uh, made us all on lockdown. Some mystery virus. That's another, that's yeah. another uh, topic. Virus. It wasn't called the 12-week programme, was it? No, man, that's another topic for another day. But um, after reflecting, obviously, doing this podcast, like, for me, I've got, like, good memories in different memories. But one thing I want to pose to you now, if you're, like you can roll the years back a couple of years and you're new to the industry and like, you're looking for a job, you know, uh, this, we've got so many options, but. Like simply red, eh, man? <laughs> a bit like Mick Hucknall, but I oh. want to ask you off your yeah. experience, like what's it like living and working in the fitness industry in the Middle East? Obviously you've got a homecoming, you've gone part two. So we've got the sort of the perception uh, versus stand, stand reality. For part three in about a month, <laughs> I'm, I'm gearing up for part three as it happens right now, man. Um, that's why I'm, I'm busting balls every day, staying in shape, man. Um, but, yeah, um, I mean, I, I've never been away from Dubai really since 2011. There's not a year gone by since I left uh, Fitness First that I haven't been, been back, either to visit, obviously, either to, to start working there again like I, I've done recently. Um, I... See, there's, there's two places in this world that will always define me, Leah. It's going to sound a bit indulgent now, but you asked the question, man. On my tombstone or, you know, my epitaph or at the funeral service or whatever, uh, or when you're doing a reading for me, um, I'll tell you something, man. There's going to be two places that define me, and it's going to be Tokyo. Because yeah. Tokyo ate up most of my 20s. I was going there and back for fucking fun until I actually ended up living there, you know? I, it, it kind of made me and ruined me, you know. I, I spent tens of thousands of pounds in my twenties, yeah. man. Ruined an entire marriage <laughs> uh, on, my, on my on my bent on my dream of of living in in Tokyo. So after that, 
it became Dubai. Now, I, I, I got to be honestly, like Dubai isn't in the heart like Japan is. You know, Japan is, 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 is my motherland. You know, it always will be. And I hope one day, somehow, some way, I end up back there, you know, in, in the land of Gundam and Godzilla. That's it. It's, it's, it's and, the Kaiser uh, Mecca. It's the pilgrimage that I'm still awaiting. But, well, but for guys like you and me in the fitness industry, um, and we're not, to quite honest with you, we're not Joe Wicks. You know, we, we, we haven't made it to that level, and perhaps we, we should have done. Well, to be fair, we're not Joe Wicks. At least we can ride a fucking mountain bike without breaking our fucking hand, right? <laughs> we're definitely not Joe Wicks, the, the useless fucking skinny twat, if he's listening. But um, we didn't quite make it to that level, and I'm, I'm not curtailing our ambition or anything like that, Lee, but it's, it's unlikely that you and me are going to have 15-minute meal plan books out next week in Waterstone. Well, that's it, mate. We've got to find new routes, um, new avenues. Like We've got all to... So, so back, back to your point, Dubai actually suits guys like you and me down to the ground. Absolutely. Because it's frontier country for the fitness industry. America have a, a plethora of their own ideas, gurus, um, governing bodies, educational systems, um, all, all basically built off the backbone of, of college sports, which is one of the best backbones of sports science on the planet for me. You know, um, say what you want about America, but the, the the breeding ground for athleticism there is just ten. You know, it's, it's just second to none, and it always has been because of their their athletic, their track and field systems, their football. Uh, the, you know, the, the basketball, the baseball, all going through the college systems that, that have these amazing high levels of sports science and has progressed uh, health and fitness and the fitness industry leaps and bounds. So they, they don't need Brits that, you know, are, are just PTs. They could be you and me, could be anybody. They, they don't need us. Uh, J- Japan are um, so institutionalized and so even now culturally hemmed in in so many ways. And I know because I've, I've worked in 2008, I worked in, actually I worked in two gyms in Japan at the same time. One was providing the visa and the other one was uh, freelance. The freelance was in gold. And there was very much a, a clear demarcation line between me, Whitey, and them, you know, um, and that was that. And trust me, the, the, the level and standards of some of the trainers and PTs in, in, in the Tokyo gyms that I was training and working in were remarkable as well. They, they had Olympic athletes working in the, in the, uh, in the uh, Gold's gym I was working in. They had K2 fighters when K2 was still yeah. uh, famous ones at the time and stuff, you know. Um, so I, I can't go over there and be the man. I can't go over to America and be the man. I can't go to Europe because they all speak some fucking language I don't speak and they don't like the English. So where the fuck do I go, Lee? I go to the Middle East, where the English people are revered, where, you know, our passport, you know, is golden. Yeah, that, you have British passport, the sun shines out of your ass. I think it goes back to maybe when we saved it from the Portuguese in the 20s or pearl money. I don't know. But they really fucking like us for some reason, Lee. So we got that going for us. Um, secondly, they, they treat us very deferentially. So to answer your question directly, one of my first experiences in the gym over there, working on the ground for Fitness First as a personal trainer, was the, the deference 
that members and clients treat me with. So they, they would listen to every word I, I said on, on the subject of health and fitness. Yeah. Um, they, they, they would take what I said as read, whether it was good or bullshit, you know. Um, and they really, they really believed I was the guy that could do the thing. Now, just, just to put a quick disclaimer here, I'm not going to be too disingenuously because I do do a solid job and I do it safely and I've been doing it for 20 years. I can get results as good as the next man. But, you know, I, I, what I'm saying is they, they treat me like like I, I'd, I'd been coaching the New York Knicks or the, the Chicago Bulls for, for 20 years before I got there, you know, when obviously I hadn't. So my, my two initial experiences of being on the ground in, in Dubai was this. They, the, the, the locals, the Emiratis, um, wonderful, wonderful um, race of people that they are, um, love English people. And secondly, they they believe in what we were saying. So that actually made my job at the uh, the DISC, the Dubai International Finance Center, Lee. It made it that much easier, you know. I never felt, believe it or not, Lee, I never felt like I had to put on the hard sell there, you know. Business would come quite easily, quite organically at the DISC. Um, and part in part because of the way that they, they just accepted me and, and, and because I was British, frankly. Um, another experience in Dubai was the absolute hedonism of the place that I did not anticipate at all. Because I, I was a bit of a lushly. This, you may not believe this. I, I was a bit of a drinker before I, I, I got to Dubai. Yeah. And the first thing all my friends said to me was, and when they knew about the job, well, the first thing was, they said, it's never going to happen. You're going to fuck it up before you get there. But <laughs> when everybody finally realized that it was happening, including myself, they said, well, at least you can straighten out over there. No drinking over there. You can behave a little bit. I actually genuinely thought to myself, yeah, you know, right? Yeah, I'm going to live the life of the sobriety. And I'm going to become a warrior monk. I'm going to train by day, train by night, I'm going to train my clients. And then, I don't know, meditate or some shit at night and, and, and read Tolstoy or something. I don't know. But that was in my idea before I got there. And when I get there, man, the, 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 the absolute... Um, the absolute fool's paradise that it that it is when you get there of, of clubs and bars and 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 sky bars and and just crazy scale living alcohol the buildings the lights the sounds the parties the um, the weekends the brunches God the brunches I mean you don't really know about brunch culture until you've been to Dubai and been to a brunch for yourself and for those that don't know. And we'll surely find out at some point. A brunch usually happens on a Friday or a Saturday, which is a weekend over there. It'll happen between midday and around 6, 7 in the evening. And between that time of which you have paid a set rate for, you can eat and drink as much as you motherfucking want. And that's pretty much and at the standard we... hourly rate of a, of a 300 dirham personal training session, isn't it, for an hour's work, mate? <laughs> For an hour's work, you can drink yourself fucking stupid on Red Label. Johnny Wall Stripe, black. all the reds, because it's cheap. Johnny Wall, if it's black, mate, you're probably one of those pricier ones, to be honest with you. It was always a Red Label for me, because I'd be at the Wafi or something like that, um, eating uh, chicken legs and, and uh, drinking Red Stripe. But that, that's by the by. This is when I started slipping, and I started slipping pretty fucking quickly. 
down down the slide, then I leave. Because I, I quickly discovered uh, maybe less than 24 hours in the country just how fucked up <laughs> somebody could get in Dubai. I, I really took that to Hartley. And I really, I, I, you know, I, I, I took the ball and like a fucking quarterback, mate, like Joel Montana, touchdown, I fucking ran with it, mate. I just went fucking nuts in that town, man. And it was the making and the ruin of me. It was, wasn't it? it was. At the same time. Legendary status, because uh, obviously induction-wise, and obviously a no-show. <laughs> but we, we talked about like being late bloomers. Like I can only speak for me. Like When I was at Eben Batutu, it was obviously, like the opposite end. So obviously, you know, we were living in Al- Al-Kal Gate and Al-Kuz, and obviously you was in like the like the financial district, my experience was slightly different. So obviously going down to Batuta, like I'd not been in the industry. Can, can I just say, actually, sorry, yeah. Coming, coming to that Eben Batuta thing, can you believe this? I've only recently been to the Eben Batuta gym. Since, I, since I've been working there recently, I've only been, the first time I ever stepped in Eben Batuta Mall was last year. Yeah, mate. Well, and then obviously I went, because I've got, yeah, I've got a friend, now who works in that particular gym. Um, so it's a remarkable gym, well, isn't a, it? Well, it was when when I was there. It was the biggest square footed gym in Dubai, like literally, like within a, a shopping mall. Ridiculous, like and um, you know, got good good memories from there, and obviously crazy memories. And um, but I always remember, like I was big on like um, I had a little studio, um, functional fitness as well. Like I always sort of try to pioneer the use of using non-mechanical training aids, you know, as your main focus of training and then I build on stuff. And um, I remember walking in on day one at even Batuta, think, fuck me, mate, I'm in the matrix. I've never seen as many machines and treadmills, everything lined up rigidly. And you know, cause you was on the induction when you, when you bothered to show your ass <laughs> after a couple of days and uh, I, I delivered. I, I, I did. I, I believe I did once or twice after the police had been looking for me. Um, yeah. Waking up in strange beds, um, yeah, the, I, I I did show once or twice at the at the uh, the HRs. Um, uh, how can can you put that place, man? It it was their own little clubhouse, wasn't it? The uh, the HR gym, Oasis Center. Yes, yeah, crazy, weren't it? As uh, a, 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 a small but nice, pleasant, well equipped gym, you know. Yeah. But for me, like say we 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 put on and I put on a, a freestyle sort of off the cuff session, didn't I? We had to sort of impress. Is it Nico? Is he was called? Oh, was it one of your? No, it wasn't Nico. It was uh, no, no, it was uh, the 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 big Indian chap. Yeah, I, I forgot his uh, name. Gone with that. His name going. Ah, uh, it's going to come to me. Mate. I can picture his face. Nitesh was he, it? He became the poster boy yeah. actually for Nikesh. Yeah. Nikesh, because um, he became the poster boy for the company shortly thereafter, and it was it was quite funny going back because obviously Nikesh now is is long gone on to bigger and better things, but um, I, I was poolside at a town centre, my 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 club uh, at at Fitness First recently, and um, they've still got the the massive board and hoarding outside with his his mug on it in the old uniform, the old white shirt and blue uh, vest. Uh, Nikesh looking like a, a Bollywood star, you know, showing someone some reps on a shoulder press well, or some shit well, like that. Well, for those you know? who don't know, Paul, like, obviously we're going to touch upon the corporate world of fitness because obviously not, not many people know it, but um, Fitness First were owned by Landmark, which obviously Indian. So lessons so, uh, in, in terms of business, like obviously because I came in, 
trying to do put a freestyle spin on fitness, which I thought that's really going to set me apart from a lot of other trainers, you know, because I'd spent a few years doing different, honing different things. And I thought, you know, I was a runner, played football, athletics. So I wanted to mix all like my pre-season training, my time on the track. You know, I was in the army myself. And again, that didn't work out. But similar to yourself, I wanted to like go to there and I present like different ideas and work hard and earn. We've, we've both had pretty shitty forces experiences, haven't we, man? Yeah, but... Hey? It, it, we, we, we've had a fucking taste, but didn't make the life of it, and, you know? And it was a, it's a real <clears throat> eye-opener, weren't it? Because, like, you know, we, we go about, like, there was a couple of Brit, Brit guys out there, like, we were some of, the, like, the, the original batches going out, but um, obviously the, the sales game... In- we, we, were like, we were like gremlins, man. We were the original batch. <laughs> So one or two, mate, in New York, New York. Oh, two is the new batch, isn't it? That was <laughs> that's me. it, mate. The new... uh, last year, Gremlins two. That's a classic, mate. So stand stand by for Gremlins three, kids. Tune into my Instagram very soon. That's to pal. Yeah, but the business side, mate, I, and I learned this like in the fitness, like very quickly, like. All the different cultures, like we had like the Filipinos there, we had the Brits, we had the Serbians, and um, I know it's changed a little bit now, but... Well, hey, let's be honest, Lee, let's be honest, and you just used that word changed. I just need to passionate about this, pick you up in two things there, man. When, when we talk about different nationalities on the ground, on the fitness team, we're talking about mafias, and we're, we're talking about... These days, is a bit of an English mafia. Um, God knows, I, 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 I'm now part of one over there. But obviously, um, back back in the day, there was uh, the Filipino mafia. Um, some some of the best trainers I've I've ever and people I've ever known and met are from Fitness First, and they're from the Philippines. That said, and they're they're quite honest and open about it themselves. Don't fuck with the Filipino mafia, man. That business comes in, comes in under the table, and they will get their share whether you like it or not, man. Man's got to eat, and they're going to eat before you do. And when you respect that, when there's maybe one of you and 30 of them, then you'll get along just fine. But don't fight the system. Yeah. Um, and, of course, that, that, that has changed over the years. But all you've really had is the balance of power shifted. And what I've noticed is, and I don't mind saying this way at all, it kind of comes to, to the, so the, the economic downturn of countries. So I'm assuming Portugal as a nation are currently in the same financial situation as I was in 2011 um, because you've had a massive influx of um, uh, hiring of, of, of particularly personal trainers um, and fitness managers from Portugal very in the last two years yeah. in, in Fitness First. Again, some great, great trainers, everyone across the world, <laughs> hands across America, guys. We're all fucking good at it. Don't get me wrong. And I, I, I know some great, great um, trainers from Portugal, likewise. But the new mafia, the new shit, not to fuck with, especially at my old club, the IFC, man. It's the Portuguese mafia, mate. So you, you have these systems in place. You're either on the right team or the wrong team. And by the way, there ain't nothing but your birth certificate that's going to change that. Business uh, and the way it's conducted in these clubs and a little bit over here as well it's 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 a bit it's a bit cliquey mm-hmm. over here as well but sometimes a bit nepotistic but especially in the buying man you're either on 
on the right side or the wrong side, and sometimes it's only a passport that can change. Yeah, and this is what I wanted to talk to you about, Paul, because obviously you... Obviously, you've had more experience in like Manchester and like work for Virgin and other things. But for me, I was more sort of independent gyms and I was work with the council and stuff. So for me, you know, I was a sort of not as savvy in the sales. I was just always confident on like my ability to coach people and like the enjoyment and the progression, which I think I was a little more like idealistic and sort of naive at the same time. And then it came to a point in... Well, quick, quick, quick secret, really quick secret, obviously... You know, we, we're, we're older, wiser men now, but for, for those who might be listening that are still in their 20s and are unattached, um, pro tip, Lee, um, th- this is how it worked for me in Manchester and, and, and Dubai, et cetera, et cetera. If you want to be successful with your sales in personal training, and, and listen carefully, kid, bang the sales staff, okay? Find one that, you know, you think you can get along with Take them for a drink. Bang the sales staff. So those sales are good. That's my pro get all, tip. Get the all day. the uh, the new clients through the sales literally, team. Literally. And when you finish, turn them upside down and shake the dirhams, the dollars, and the cents out. Okay. So you were saying, <laughs> that's a good advice for any younger up and quid PT. But mate, I don't know. It was in DIFC as much. I think the the model were the same. But I remember like thirty thousand dirham a month was our target, and I want to. Because for people who like listening, mate, and they might not know how uh, the sales operate on the gym floor, we was all commission-based. The way we conducted sessions, like they, the, the clients had to turn up for sessions. And you know in Dubai, not all of them always did. So we only got paid per conducted sessions. So you could be smashing like the, the 20, 30,000 sales, and we only got 100 dirhams per session. So for me, like... When, when people then just weren't started showing up and stuff, and then it became really difficult because then I've got money that I've literally sold that contract and money's withheld from me because some other fucker's not turning up. And then I'm working like 15 hours in the club and then I'm seeing like you've discussed certain mafia outlets dominating the landscape and you're thinking, hold on, I've been in the club 15 hours a day. I'm trying to work hard and do everything by the book. Yet, it's coming to month end. I'm fucking beans on toast, and you fuckers are like smashing all your sales and stuff. And that's where the divided animosity and it started changing my thinking. And I got out to meet different people. I met some amazing people who wasn't trainers, and I started learning a little bit more about Dubai. I went out to clubs, Jebel Ali Club, you know. And then I thought, fuck this. I'm just going to start after a year. I'm going to start getting out doing my own shit, mate. That's where the money is to be made. Fuck this corporate. You know, and that, I wanted to be training people on the beaches of Dubai and not conducting fucking triple yeah, clients, mate, well, and um, getting my ass raped, knowing full full well that these clients are not going to convert to PTs because the mafia have already sent the, the, their trainers the ones who and I'm fucking putting another six hours in, and I'm not getting nothing return. Where I've just gone out, I've met people, socialising, and I'm on the beach of Dubai getting paid. Well, this is this is how it is, Lee. No, this is how it is in in the system, and it's not just in Dubai. It's it's also, um, you know, it's it's obviously as I said before, due to sort of um, nationalistic reasons. Almost, it's the same in in Tokyo as well, and 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 in Manchester. You know, there's there's a lot of insider training, uh, training, trading even when it comes to PT sales and whatnot. LA Fitness, God rest its soul, you know, they were one of the worst for it, actually. They really were. 
um, for, for its nepotistic sort of streak and its approach to divvying out the business. But back to Dubai and your point about fitness first and the mafia. I want you to watch a, a movie because I know you're a movie fan like me, Lee. A great movie that's come out recently. I mean, there was much uh, hyperbole and hype about The Irishman. It's a great film. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a classic. I'm it's not a heat. It's not a De Niro and, and a film Chino came classic. Out about... I, I, well, I, 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 for you and the listeners here, man, I'm going to be controversial. I always prefer <laughs> Miami Vice. So fuck everyone on that score. All right? But that's my own reasons. My point is this. Another little movie, crime epic, snuck out around about the same time. A guy, Richie movie, now he started making Disney movies called The Gentleman. Oh, yeah. And from the, the opening prologue with Matthew McConaughey, it's an exceptional movie. Brilliantly made, brilliant cast, brilliant acting, brilliant character actors. It's, it's, got, a, it's got a typical Guy Ritchie convoluted story and, and all the, the, the sort of fast cuts and switchbacks and playing around with time frames that you'd expect. But it's put together so well, so cohesively and so enjoyably that as a film family, you definitely have to watch it. And I'm not going to spoil it, but in the opening prologue, uh, and, and Matthew McConaughey is, is, is a, a big multinational stock dealer of weed on, on a multi-million dollar scale. And the movie is essentially about him and him looking to get out and all the other lions in the jungle that are out to take a piece of his meat. Now they know he's getting out. And without giving it away, he, he knows about the newcomers, the young bloods, the cliques, the mafias, the people that want in on his action. Now he's looking to sell and get out. And there's this wonderful prologue monologue at the start of the movie about laws of the jungle and how you have to obey them and how you have to stay king. And it's fair play to the trainers, like especially the lads from the Philippines, man. And I realized that again, Recently, now they're holding fitness first isn't quite what it was, you know. Rome is burning for them now, unfortunately. Um, these lads got there 2007, 2008, man. Probably the lads you were working with as well. They're highly skilled fucking individuals, man. They're highly knowledgeable. And again, some of the best trainers I've ever worked with and never met are from the Philippines. But they did their time. That's the point. Like McConaughey. They did their time. They were smart. They started from the ground up. They worked. They took the shit. They took the risks. They did everything off their own back. So when we got there, man, in 2011, they had already been there six, seven fucking years, man. Trust me. Yeah. They had already been grafting. It was their territory to keep. And it was only ours to take when it was theirs to sell, when they wanted to, when they wanted to give yeah. up that real estate. But they were obeying the laws of the jungle, man, and we were the hungry whippersnappers. We were the, we were the, the young cubs at the heels of the Filipinos. And I learned that lesson, not then, but recently now going back and meeting some great, great guys, Nick at Town Center and um, uh, Rolando. You might actually know Rolando. It goes back yeah, to Yeah, I know day. a couple of lads are still out there. And uh, he, he went... Yeah, well, you might. I think you know Rolando by face. Um, he, he was actually in the Olympics at some point. He is the real fucking deal. Maybe the best fucking trainer, apart from myself, obviously, that I've ever met in my life. And he's only recently gone back to the company. And he had to do the same shit, the same yeah. induction as me, man. 
but he'd done his time. He started that company, man, in 2007. I was pissballing around in Tokyo at that time, mate, getting absolutely fucking wasted on 17 years age Centauri or some shit, you know? Not him, man. He was grafting 12, 14 fucking hours a day on those grim fucking floors. Man. Laws of the jungle, man. And I realized, even going back as a veteran trainer now to fitness first, I had to sort of keep my head down a little bit this time. I was a minnow again because I'd come out of the system. I wasn't building. I was going sideways. So I had to come back at a junior level. And the other point of this great movie that you really now have to watch, man, is obey your elders, right? Uh, respect your elders, rather. Um, your time will come. And if there's something I kept hearing as a 40-year-old as a man on the floor recently at Town Centre Dubai, is this from lads younger than me, two great Serbian trainers, the two Desans. They sound like a circus act, but they're not. They're actually top, top lads and great fucking trainers. I love the fucking bones off them, the pair of them if they ever hear this. But they're younger than me, and they're both telling me, like, your time will come, your time will come. They're telling the wise old owl here, your time will come. But they're right. They're right. It's just if you and me, Lee, had stuck it out in that in that system, and I, I'm not even going to pour gasoline on their system anymore, man. As systems go, when you consider the likes of fucking Pure Gym, put a billion trainers through the grinder daily and don't pay them anything. In fact, the trainers pay them yeah. to work for them. It's actually not a bad system they have at Fitness First. At least you get yeah, a And you only way. know that, don't you, when, when you and reflect and that's like day. doing these podcasts and like obviously revisiting memories that I've done and obviously now I'm a dad myself and husband and it's mm. like you, you understand more. But, but, but your point, your point, Lee, about the, the business over there, um, the way that obviously Fitness First take the money and they take it in hand, sort of like bank it. Um, and obviously you only get paid per session then, a, a cut of the contract as it were. Now what the problem you experienced then, I experienced a little bit at the IFC, but it wasn't endemic. That problem now, people buying, for whatever reason, buying and not showing up is now endemic. Most of your clients, man, they just throw the money at the fucking wall and then have every excuse under the fucking sun. Man. I literally had one guy recently, only a few months ago in Dubai. He said to me, and this is me reading like after the message. The message had been sent four in the morning when I was still asleep. I'm drunk. I'm not going to make it in tomorrow morning. Four in the morning, Lee. This guy is 72 years old. And he was drunk as a skunk at 4 a.m. in the morning, man. I can't be too hard on the guy because he's a fucking legend. I hope I make it to then. And I hope I'm in his shape doing what he's doing. But it did piss me off a little bit, man, that they're so nonchalant, so naked about throwing 800, 900 pounds at the fucking wall. And they're never using it. In Dubai at the minute, man, that's a big problem. So, yes, when you go out on your own and you start taking money in hand, you're insuring yourself against that sort of nonchalance that a lot of people have over there, you know, towards just throwing money at something and then maybe using it now and again. Because that's your bread and butter, Lee. And that's the big problem now for a lot of up-and-coming trainers, you know. Um how to take that money. That is still going to be there after this pandemic is over. I just want to say a quick thing, man, because I've, 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 you know, we, we should continue this, man, but I've, I've got to go myself in a moment. 
I just want to say a quick thing, my little pet peeve at the minute I have on Instagram, yeah. on TikTok, on Facebook, whatever the fuck. You motherfuckers out there that have gyms at home and do nothing but show off with them. Fuck you and then some. Okay? I applaud anybody that's training at home right now. This disease has grabbed us by the balls. It's the real deal. It's killing people. And it's not a good idea right now to generalize um, or speculate because even the World Health Organization, even, even they don't really have a handle on this thing yet. So, you know, lay persons like you and me can't say much, but we can say this much. You can build your immune system through exercise and good diet. That's definitely going to help you. So I applaud anybody out there right now that's exercising at home. You've got a band. You've got a kettlebell at home. You've got a skipping rope. You've got whatever. You've got a floor space, a yoga mat. I don't care. God bless you. you. You're doing great. But you motherfuckers out there with your fucking bench racks, your shoulder presses, your fucking gym rings, fuck you. Keep it off social media. Keep it to your fucking self. Swan. I just want, I had to get that off my chair. I had to get that like The Rock, he doesn't post his workouts. He's, he's respectful, my, my hero of the... He does. I follow The Rock, and I, I do like The Rock, man. I'm a big fan. Although he does. He does post all his posts <laughs> on does. the fucking gym. But, mate, he's earned his grind his way up, hasn't he? Like The Rock's done. That's, that can be something for another day, but... He has. He is. He's one of the guys I'm talking about with the Matthew McConaughey movie. He's king of the jungle now because he obeyed the we'll, laws. We'll, the we'll, we'll, we'll obey and we'll work. And um, yeah, mate, we'll, uh, we'll definitely record more soon because I'm going to be respectful of your time. And um, I've got other topics. Like I say, we want to go into your, your mate Mel Gibson's filmography. And uh, are we seeing Mel coming back up on top of the game? Oh, yeah. He's always, man. You can't, you can't keep him down. You can't keep a good, a good, good actor and down. Just, just like you've just oh. got to. Yeah, yeah, rigs, man. You've just got to take rigs. it. You know, you have your time, and then you drop, and then you just got to climb again. It's all like the greats. Done that a few times as well, Lee. I'm sure I'll do it again. I'm still healthy, fit, and in good spirits, and uh, it's going to be interesting when the doors open again, man. Uh, you and me had better be on the blocks like Usain Bolt. I'll be on the starter line, mate. I'm a, I'm a middle distance. I was a, a middle distance runner until this fucking tear in my hip still uh, fucked me over. So I'm waiting for an operation. Then uh, I'm adapting. Jesus, man. Now you got to be you got to be Ben Johnson <laughs> now, man. you got to be 300 pounds, black, fast, and full of drugs. Got to start okay, brother. you got to be something else now because you... You yeah, mate, we'll, we'll, we'll see what I can do. I'll reinvent the okay, wheel like I always do, mate. I'll come back after post-lockdown post, um, apocalypto like Mel Gibson. I'll unleash something. Post-lockdown, post-Malone, <laughs> man. All right, let's continue this very yeah, soon, mate. man. Okay, I, I've got a few errands myself, man. Um, unfortunately, even even the virus doesn't stop certain Well, you've nearly given us 60 minutes of gold, me and you sort of going through. And uh, what I'd like to do, Paul, and we can... Well, I usually don't last that long, Lee, so consider yourself... Um, consider yourself... Um, uh, I don't the, know. The Iron Man. The Iron Man of Fitness. That can be your uh, lead title. Uh, no, I don't want that one, mate. It's far too boring. <laughs> All right, brother. Um, hit me up later, yeah? On yeah, the DM. no worries, Paul. Thanks for your time and the good conversations. And uh, we'll, we'll record some... Um, questions that I have for you soon and uh, see how it goes down.
No worries, man. Love to um, love to Nicola and the little one. Yeah, yeah man. See you, you soon, Paul. Bye bye.